Great. Well, good to see you tonight. I'm Dan. I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, just want to say, if you give to Kings, just want to say thanks so much for your generosity. I find the, the finance report always quite an emotional read because every pound there represents sacrifice and people giving and the other things that you could have been buying with your money, shoes, holidays, clothes, whatever those things, food, and people have made choices to say, I'm going to give that to Jesus. And uh, it got me thinking about this subject of giving. When my kids turned 11, I've got four kids, and when each of them's turned 11, I've gone to the, the Nationwide with them and I've opened a bank account. And it's a hugely exciting father-child moment to open a bank account. I don't know if you ever did that. And uh, here's the thing. So you went through all the process and we, we opened the bank account and they get their little uh, debit card through the post, which they're dead excited about. First debit card. And, and they said, I can do anything with this. I can spend, I can buy, I can... Anyway, so after a few days, each of them in turn comes to the conclusion. That, that I said, so have you, have you used your card yet? And they said, well, no, not yet. And I said, why not? They said, well, because I don't want to spend my money. <laughs> I said, Dad, it's easier to spend your money than mine. And then they got a bit glum because they weren't using their bank accounts. And they said, well, what are you meant to use it for? And I said, well, do you pay your bills? And they said, we haven't got any of those. And I said, well, okay, well, something important that we do, Mum and I, is that we, we set up standing orders so we can give money regularly. And we give money to church and to tear fund and one or two other things. And uh, Evie, who, uh, yeah, she's the, the, the second, uh, third child, and, uh, <laughs> wow, um, she, she said, oh, can I do that? I said, yeah, yeah, you can do that. You can set up a standing order. She said, can I set it up to King's Church? I said, yeah. She said, can I, can I give 10% of my, of my sort of regular pocket money to King's? I said, yeah, we can do that. And I've no idea, I don't know how they let this through the system, but she gives her 22p a week standing order to King's Church. It's the smallest standing order in King's Church history. But God loves that. And anyway, it got me thinking about this thing of, we don't often teach giving. Sometimes when we talk about giving, what, what we're really talking about is fundraising. You hear a big vision preach and you hear somebody say, we need X amount of money. Please, would you dig deep in your pockets and, and give what you can? And in doing so, we can diminish the very nature of what giving actually is, which is profoundly an act of worship to God. It's actually first and foremost about you and the God that you love. And when we get this right, when we get this, this act of worship correct, the benefit is that people get blessed around us through the provision that that causes. But really, it's about worship. And so I want to teach about this tonight. John Wesley, the famous preacher who saw thousands converted, he said the last conversion to take place is the conversion of a person's wallet. So you might just want to just reach into your pocket and just feel. Just check that wallet is comfortably there, safe and sound. Put your hand on it. And maybe you just want to pray, Lord, just help me with this. Help me with this message, Lord. Help me to loosen my grip on my stuff. And to be more generous and more worshipful. Amen. So uh, what I want to do tonight, just for these remaining minutes we have together, I just want to give you a bit of an overview of giving in the Bible, just so that you can feel better taught in this area, and so that you can excel in this wonderful gift of generosity. So we're going to go right through the Bible. You ready for that? Great. You're a tough crowd tonight. Chris was saying some great things, and you were just like, nah. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, first story in the Bible that we read about giving is the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were two brothers and they brought offerings to God. And Cain was a farmer and he brought vegetables. And Abel was also a farmer and he brought his finest flock, uh, his, his lambs, his, the firstborn of his flock, the Bible says. And I know that wonky veg are back in fashion these days, but it says about Cain's offering that God wasn't pleased with it. Whereas it says about Abel's offering, this finest of his flock that he gave, it says God was pleased with that. That tells us something straight away about God and about giving. It's this, that it matters. It matters how we give. God isn't just okay with us throwing a few coins at him now and again and, and expecting that's going to... But he, he wants our very best in this area. The second time we come across giving is in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to follow him. And it's a bit of a family soap opera, the story of Abraham. The first two chapters are just really messy business. In fact, in chapter 14, his cousin Lot gets kidnapped by some local tribes. And somebody tells Abraham, and Abraham mounts a rescue mission. And he goes with a few hundred people, and he rescues Lot. And in doing so, he rescues a load of, a load of other people that have been kidnapped, and all of their stuff that's been seized, and he brings it back. And he rescues Lot, and he brings back all the stuff and restores it back to the original tribes who it belonged to. And then this strange guy turns up called Melchizedek. If you could put the next slide up, please. We don't know anything about this guy, except it says in Hebrews 7 that he was like a prefigurement of Christ. But it says this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. All of the stuff he'd got, Abraham gave him a tenth. And it was in response to Melchizedek making these two comments. First of all, he blessed him. And then he pointed out that this great victory that had happened, he said, you know, Abraham, God did that. God did it. God brought it about. He was the one who made it happen. Lest Abraham thought it was because of his superior fighting skills. He said, no, this is what is the victory that God brought about. And so Abraham recognizes it. He said, God's blessed me and he's brought victory in my life. Therefore, I'm going to honor him by giving him a tenth of everything. In fact, he actually gave the other 90% back to its original owner, so he didn't really come off with anything in that whole transaction. But this is how Abraham honoured God with a tenth. The same thing happened with Jacob in, Acts, in, in, in Genesis chapter 28. He says to God, I'll give you a tenth. So this idea of a tenth, it predated the law where the idea of tithing or tenthing becomes more understood. If you look in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, you find God formalizes this arrangement under the law for the people of Israel in Old Testament times. And God says, a tithe of everything, tithe means tenth, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And what God said was this, the, the tenth isn't giving, the, the tenth is God's. It's your way of just rightly saying this belongs to God. Nobody talked about giving a tithe, they talked about paying a tithe. 
It was exact. It was 10%. It wasn't 9 or 11 or 7. It, it was expected. In Malachi chapter 3, God uh, talks to the people of Israel about bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. In fact, it might interest you to know that in Old Testament times, there were three different tithes that the people of Israel were told to pay by God. The first was a, a tithe for the Levites. You can uh, read about this in Numbers 18, verse 21, which was to pay for the work of the temple and the priests who worked there, who didn't have any land or places of their own where they could farm or, or make any kind of income. So the other tribes were expected to give their tenth to make sure that the tribes of Levi were cared for. The second tithe that they paid was towards festivals. It was towards paying for them and their families and their households and their servants to, to be able to make trips to Jerusalem for Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles when required, because that was part of their tradition. It was part of the Jewish way of life, to go and worship at Jerusalem. And God said, set money aside so that when you need to go and make these trips, you're not found short. And you read about that in Deuteronomy 12, 17, and 18. You could call it a holiday fund. It was kind of like that, equivalent in their culture in that time. And then there was a third tithe. It was a three-yearly tithe, to be paid for the poor, the orphans, and the widows, and the foreigners. Deuteronomy 26, verse 12 says, Set aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe. You shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So, anybody good at maths here? No, that's a shame. Okay, moving on. No. So, what have we got? 10% plus 10% is... 20%, and then a 10% every three years, what's that on average per year? Yeah, so, so we've got 23.333% of an Israelite's kind of income every year being paid into this tithing thing. Now, you think, well, that sounds a bit of a steep thing. Well, on top of that was the voluntary offerings as well. So uh, the most famous of these is in Exodus chapter 35, where on top of all of that tithing, Moses said to the people of Israel, he said, we're going to build a tabernacle for God, the meeting place, where God was going to come and dwell with his people. And he said, we need materials. We need gold and silver and yarn and all of these things to build it. And he said, but I only want you to give if your heart is moved. There was no compulsion. There was nobody having a whip round with a tin. They said, if anybody wants to, they can. And it's one of the most exciting stories of giving in the whole Bible because it says that everybody who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments, and they presented their gold as an offering to the Lord. And then it says a few verses later that Moses had to tell everybody to stop. He said he had enough stuff and they didn't need any more. And he says the people were restrained from bringing any more. I think he's got to be one of the few church leaders in history to actually tell his people, look, guys, we just don't need anything more here. You've given enough. Stop that lady there with the big earrings. and Keep them on. We don't need those anymore. Okay, we've got everything that we need here. It was a remarkable season of grace where they began to give voluntarily as well as what was expected of them. 
There's two types of giving that we can understand when we think about our lives. There's the stuff that is just kind of the run of the mill giving, and then there's the stuff that God exceptionally graces us for as well. Now let's take giving through into the New Testament. The New Testament uh, doesn't really talk about tithing a whole lot, to be honest. It was, the New Testament was written in the context of the Old Testament. Nobody sort of said, hey, let's do away with the Old Testament. They said, no, this is, this is kind of the, the, the next chapter, as it were. This is the fulfillment. So people in the New Testament would have been very familiar with the teaching of the Old Testament. But let me ask you this question to help, to help us sort of dig into this. Which is better, the Old Covenant or the New Covenant? The New. I think we're pretty unanimous on that. The New is good. The New is, is better. In fact, uh, could you put up the Hebrew Scripture, please, the next one? It says... In fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior. Say superior. Superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better, say better, better promises. Superior and better. Old covenant, you sin, you get stoned, you get punished. New new covenant, you receive forgiveness and grace and mercy and nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's a remarkably superior covenant. And if we were to summarize, what's the old covenant about and what's the new covenant about? You'd say, well, the old covenant, it's about doing. If you obey God, God will bless you. In fact, he said that about tithing. He said, If you bring the tithe into the storehouse, God will bless you. It's about the obedience of you producing the blessing of God. What's the new covenant about? It's about not the obedience of you. It's about the obedience of Jesus producing the blessing of God in your life. Isn't that an exciting thought? Not my obedience producing God's blessing, but his obedience. How good was Jesus' obedience? Perfect. You're getting into this now. I like it. He became obedient to death on a cross. He followed the Father's will perfectly, and in doing so, he produced the blessing of God in your life. Do you know the Bible says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ? Not because of anything you'll ever do, but because of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful that the grace of God is poured out in your life because of him, not because of you? Now, Sometimes we can get into a funny place with this in terms of giving. Because say, well, so if you're saying that you don't have to tithe anymore, then does that mean I shouldn't or I won't? Or let me ask you another question. Wouldn't it be a strange thing, right? If if uh, if you're a brand new Christian and uh, you got your Bible out and you started just reading a few verses, and then a more mature Christian came up and said, "Oh no, you don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to read your Bible because it's all by grace." You think, oh. Okay, put my Bible down then. And then you think, I'm just going to pray. And, uh, and then somebody pats you on the shoulder and says, oh no, we, we don't pray around here. We don't do praying in this church because it's grace. God loves us without praying. And you think, oh, okay, funny kind of church this is. And then you, you, you start to sing a worship song. Somebody says, oh no, we don't sing here. We don't need to sing. Because, you know, we, we don't need to do that because God loves us anyway. As we are. You think, well, what exactly am I meant to do with my life? If it's all just because God loves me and I don't have to do anything. And the answer would be, well, all of these things are a means of God's grace to us. When we pray, when we read the word, when we sing in worship, when we gather together in community. And all of these things are wonderful gifts of God from us by which he ministers his grace to us. Giving 
is exactly the same. When we give, God fills us with his power and his grace. It's a means of us positioning ourselves to receive from him. You know, back in 1983, the law in the UK changed. I know most of you here weren't alive in 1983. But the big law that changed that year was clunk-click. Seatbelts were made mandatory for drivers and passengers in their cars. Good thing or bad thing? It was good, wasn't it? Kind of, I mean, you look back and you think, did we really let people drive at 70 miles an hour without seatbelts on motorways? Yeah, we did. Now, let's just imagine in a moment of madness in the UK Parliament, not that moments of madness ever happen in the UK Parliament, but let's just imagine tomorrow they overturn that whole seatbelt law and say, we don't need it anymore. Freedom to the people. And tomorrow morning you jumped in your car if you have one or as a passenger. What would you do? You'd still put your seatbelt on, wouldn't you? think, well, this is just sensible. This is just right. So when we talk about some stuff like giving, like tithing, we don't just throw it off because you think, well, that's just old covenant. That's old covenant. We say, no, this is, this is sensible. This is a way of positioning ourselves in order to make ourselves generous people, to position ourselves to receive the grace of God. When you left home, I'm pretty sure most of you kept brushing your teeth even though your mum wasn't there to tell you to do it. Now, if what I'm saying is true, if this new covenant of grace is so far superior to the old covenant, then we, would, we should expect when we read the New Testament that we just see giving going viral in a way that we've never seen it before in the Old Testament. Would that be true? Would we expect that? I think we would. Let's look in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to see if that happened. So this is the early church in Jerusalem. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There were many, many thousands of refugees in Jerusalem at that time. People who'd come for Passover, become Christians, couldn't return home, were wanting to learn about their new Christian faith, and they had genuine needs. The people of God, that church, that 120 believers, they said, Move in with us. They shared their property. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Let's go look at the next one. Acts 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Wow. What a time to be alive. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Do you ever find yourselves in a Christian meeting sometimes where there's a moment in worship, and somebody stands up the front and they say, this is just such a powerful moment right now. Do you ever have that? And maybe you've had a tough day at work or something, but you're sitting there thinking, I'm not feeling it. You ever had that? This might be powerful for something. I want you to see, in this verse, the powerful evidence of God's grace was very, very practical. There was no needy persons among them because people kept selling their stuff and sharing it with everybody. 
The grace of God went viral in the early church. And you see throughout the, the, the rest of the New Testament, many, many principles about giving. And I just want to leave you tonight with eight simple principles about grace-filled giving so that you can begin to step into these things in your life and see the grace of God evidenced through you. So I'm going to go quite quick through these. Uh, Here's the first one. Give generously. In Matthew 26, in fact, do you know there's only one story in the Gospels that Jesus says, this must be written down and told to the whole world. Do you know what it was? It was the story of a lady breaking a jar of perfume worth a year's wages and pouring it all over his feet as an act of worship. And he said, this is the one I want to get told everywhere. Jesus loves generosity and he wants you and I to be generous people. Here's the second one. Give regularly and systematically. Now, some of us here are more systems orientated than others. Some of us see ourselves as spontaneous people. Who's, who's more systems here? Who's more spontaneous? And, but let, let me ask you, who here owns an alarm clock? All of us are on your phone. The reason you have an alarm clock, even if you're not a systems person, is this, it's because you want to have a job. <laughs> it's because you don't want to get fired. Because if you turn up late for work, you'll lose respect, all of those things. So we use systems, even if we're spontaneous kind of people, to make sure we do what's needed to be done. The same goes for giving. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with their income. That's the Apostle Paul saying, first day of every week. When you get paid, you give. Here's the third principle. Give voluntarily. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each one of you should give what they have decided in their heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. Wow. This guy's a terrible fundraiser, isn't he? I mean, most fundraisers, they pile on the guilt and the pressure. But Paul says, no, no guilt, no pressure, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God invites us on the basis of grace to give. And here's the wonderful thing, even about being a part of a church community, there'll be some people here who give generously into the life of kings, and that's wonderful, we're so appreciative of that. There'll be other people who have never started that journey yet. We don't pay for entry. We don't charge. to come. It's not like you can't drink the coffee if you don't give. Because actually, Jesus invites us all on the basis of grace. All these facilities, all of these services are open for free to anybody who wants to come along. We're not, we're not saying you must pay. In fact, I came across some really old accounts for this church building from 150 years ago. We found them in an attic somewhere. And they used to charge people for their seats. Pew rents, they called it. And they actually made as much money on the pew rents as they did from people giving. Now, I don't believe that's the principle of grace giving. Grace giving says... Give, give, but not reluctantly or under a compulsion. And he's not saying don't give unless you feel like it. What he's saying is this, that be motivated by grace, not pressure. Fourthly, give joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we give cheerfully. Why does giving make us cheerful? Well, here's some good reasons that 
When we give, we're investing in the stuff that really matters for all of eternity. When we give, we're responding to prayers being prayed around the world by Christians for their needs to be met. And your heart is being stirred because of somebody else's prayer somewhere. We find joy in giving because we feel part of this bigger thing called the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus. And we feel, it makes us feel like a part. We, give, we have joy because we know that joy of what it is to meet other people's needs. In fact, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the fifth thing. We give worshipfully. In Acts chapter 10 at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius is told, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come as a memorial before God. God notices when we give our stuff. It's worship to him. It's worship to him. Here's the sixth one. Give proportionately. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 says, give in keeping with your income. Tithing is proportionate in a sense, but 10% of a very low paid job That's a huge amount to give away. 10% if you're a millionaire is quite an easy sum to give away. Do you know Jesus is more interested in what we keep than in what we give? In fact, he recognized that a widow who gave two copper coins gave far more than the guy who put in bundles of banknotes next to her because she gave all she had and he gave just a little part of what he had. Give proportionately to how God has blessed you. Seventhly, give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul tells a story of some churches, poverty-stricken churches in Macedonia, yet they experienced the grace of God and said, we want to give. We want to give even though we don't have much. God loves it when we give, when we don't have much. Eighthly, and finally, give quietly. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you give, don't do what the Pharisees do and, and announce it with trumpets. They used to give their money and then pay the trumpeters to tell everybody they'd given some money. Don't be like that. I think we're less prone to that in our culture. Right, here's the final point I, I want to make as we, as we wrap up. This is all about the heart. It's our heart that gets fearful when it comes to giving. Because all of this sounds great. It all sounds great to talk about being generous and free with our stuff. Yet, when the rubber hits the road, this is... This is what we feel. If I'm generous with my stuff, if I give stuff away, I risk not having enough. I risk not having enough for myself, for my family, for presents I want to give. I risk not having enough for that holiday, or those shoes, or those clothes. And we can find ourselves fearful. Here's a verse to help us. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. This is what Jesus says. If you give a little, God will bless you a little. If you give a lot, God will bless you a lot. Now it's up to him whether he wants us to bless us back with material wealth, whether he wants to bless us in all sorts of other ways. In eternity, he'll certainly bless us in every single one of those ways, but he will never be outgiven by you and by me. Here's, um, here's a picture of a vehicle I'd like to drive. <laughs> This was invented by an American called R.G. Letourneau, and he invented these giant earth-moving machines. 
And in doing so, he made loads and loads of money. He made a huge profit. And he, he was a Christian, and he started in his career, and he used to faithfully give a tithe, a 10% of his money to Christian ministries and churches. Over his life, he changed that to 90%. He gave God the 90%, and he lived off the 10%. And somebody asked him, said, so, RG, tell us, tell us your principles for giving. And he came up with this great phrase, which I just love because he invented these massive mechanical shovels. He said, well, it's like this. I shovel out the money and God shovels it back to me. But God has a bigger shovel. This is what it's like when we give to God. He gives us back far and above more than we could ask or imagine. So tonight, I just want to invite you to give your hearts afresh to God, to give your money and your resources to him, knowing that actually it all belongs to him anyway because he's blessed you. And let's ask him to free up our grip on this so that we can be a blessing to those around us, but first and foremost, to worship him.